Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Chris Shandro. I'm the pastor of Compass. And as always, thank you so much for joining me. So many years ago when I was a youth pastor, in spite of my height, I'm not tall, but I was a pretty good volleyball player. And people from our local church would get together at the local sand volleyball pits, and we would play a game anytime we could. At some point, we decided that it would be a great idea to put together a church team in order to compete in our local community's competitive league. Now, if you've ever played on a church softball, basketball, or volleyball team, you know something that I didn't know at the time. It's that no one gets meaner, nastier, or uses fouler language when competing in sports than church people in a community league. I swear, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde out there. Like the sweetest guy in your church who usually has nothing but encouraging things to say, that man will end up screaming at the ref and he'll be like, are you blind? That ball was in. If we don't get that point, I will burn your house down while you are sleeping in it. And you think I'm exaggerating. I'm not. The things I've heard church people say when they are competing Like, it would make a pirate blush. And our first game as a volleyball team, a church team, was no different. Things got really competitive and really tense. And there might have been some colorful words that were shared between the teams. So the next time we played, I sat my team down for a little bit of coaching. And I told them this. I said, look, yes, we want to win this game. But not at the expense of the reputation of our church. We're here to have fun, fun with each other, fun with friends and neighbors from our community. Being angry at a bad call is not fun. Being frustrated because a teammate botched a play is not fun. Asking someone on the other team if they think that the ball would fit down their throat because you're pretty sure you could jam it down there is not fun. Winning is fun, but that's not our primary goal. I was like, guys, having a good time together is the goal. So the problem on our team was that most of us, I say us, most of us had the wrong outlook when it came to why we were playing volleyball. Their outlook said that we were playing in order to crush our opposition into dust. So I had to clarify what our new perspective was going to be, and that was to enjoy playing a fun and friendly game with some potential new friends and potential new followers of Jesus. Now, the games were still intense and they were really competitive, but when we clarified how we were going to view the game, how we were going to view our opponents and even ourselves, the outcome changed. And for the record, we still kicked a ton of butt, but we just didn't look like jerks doing it. Now, here in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out on a mission. And he's sending them out into the Jewish towns of Galilee, and he's preparing them for the conflict that they're going to face when he sends them out to teach the kingdom of God to people. And there's going to be conflict among themselves. There's going to be conflict with other people. They're going to have internal conflict. And in Matthew 10, 16, we find Jesus giving his disciples an outlook lesson, showing them how he wanted them to view their mission, the people that they were going to come in conflict with, and themselves. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. So 
Jesus here, he starts off his teaching using these contrasting animal metaphors. And in doing that, he's preparing his disciples for what they're going to face and how he wants them to see the world. And the first metaphor he uses is the one of sending them out as sheep among wolves. And it's pretty clear, this metaphor, because sheep and wolves don't get along. Wolves kill and eat sheep. Jesus is telling his disciples that they are going out into a world that's full of people who are going to be hostile towards them. It's a world full of, for lack of a better word, enemies. And because they're going to be in a hostile world full of enemies, they need to be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves, meaning that they need to be both clever and harmless. In a world full of wolves, we are not to take on their methods and become predators ourselves. Rather, we're supposed to live in a way in such, in such a way as to cause no harm to others. That's what Jesus was saying. But the big thing for his disciples was this. The people are going to be coming at them and they need to be ready to respond. And Jesus continues in verse 17. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. Now that's a little bit more intense, huh? Jesus is giving his disciples uh, a little bit of good news, bad news. And he's starting with the bad news first. And he's telling them, look, because you are my followers, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be taken on trial before governors and kings. You're going to be flogged with whips. That's bad news. But Jesus continues with the good news. Verse 18. But this will be your opportunity to tell the, the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. So with the bad news, Jesus made it pretty clear that disciples of Jesus will face conflict and resistance in a world that is honestly hostile toward the message of Jesus. But what's crazy is that to Jesus, this is not something to be resisted. It's not something that we're supposed to fight against or, or pass laws to prevent. Rather, for Jesus, it's an opportunity for two things to happen. And one is that the very people who are trying to hurt you will see your life and hear your message. And the other opportunity is that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. When I was in Bible college, we had this course called Personal Evangelism. And the idea of this class was to teach us how to direct conversations to Jesus and then teach us what to say so that we could overcome people's objections to the gospel and evangelize them. So like if you were on a plane sitting next to someone, you would know to say something like, oh, hey, are you a first time flyer? Are you nervous? Well, say if this plane crashed and we all died today, I mean, what do you think would happen to you? Where do you think you'd spend your eternity? We were taught to have a conversation like that. Or if you were at a movie theater, you might have been taught to say something like, well, are you looking forward to seeing Doctor Strange? Me too. You know what else is strange? When Jesus said in John 3 that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And if Scarlet Witch dies in this movie, I mean, where do you think she would spend her eternity? I don't know why asking someone if they're afraid of going to hell was always the starting point of how we were taught to tell people about Jesus. But there you go. Either way, 
We were taught a specific way of talking to people about Jesus, a script almost. My point in bringing this up is that in spite of the conflict and resistance that, that, that Jesus' disciples were going to face, he didn't give the disciples a prescribed set of responses. Rather, he said, this isn't a crisis. It's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, for, for people to hear about who I am and understand who I am and my message. And it's an opportunity for the Spirit of God to speak through you when you have no idea how to respond. And this is kind of amazing to me because when we put all of these things together, right? these are a lot of kind of separate thoughts, but when we put them all together, we see this worldview that Jesus has and what he wants his followers to have. And we get this picture of how Jesus sees the kingdom of God expanding into a hostile world. And it doesn't advance through power and aggression. Jesus didn't paint a picture of his followers going on the attack against the wolves of the world and conquering systems of authority with strength and dominance. Instead, Jesus paints a picture of his kingdom advancing through what looks like weakness, of his people being harmless and kind, trusting him to speak through them when necessary. And this doesn't feel much like the political bullhorn evangelical Christianity that we often see in America, where the kingdom of God is advanced, advanced through legislation and power by shouting down your enemies and by demanding political and religious orthodoxy from, from people, or else they will also become your enemy. I mean, this kind of kingdom advancement, it comes with an us versus them mentality where we don't win until they are destroyed. And the goal is to own our enemies. But fortunately for us, we have an example of someone who lived out exactly what Jesus is describing in Matthew 10, 16 through 18. And his name was Stephen. And we see his life in Acts 6, 8. It says that Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So, Stephen, we know this from the book of Acts, was a deacon in the first century church, which basically meant that he was a leader who administrated the distribution of food and resources that all the people in the church had gathered and collected together. We know this from Acts 6, that he was full of God's power. We also know that at this point in, in history, Christianity was entirely comprised of Jewish people. And there were other Jews outside of Christianity who didn't like this new sect that, had, that claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. And these people, like the, uh, the synagogue of freed slaves, were pushing back against Stephen. And in Acts 6, we see this debate happening where just like Jesus described, the Spirit of God was speaking through him. And because the Jews debating him couldn't refute what he was saying, they took this different approach. Look at this in, in Acts 6.11. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we've heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. So they went up and they lied about Stephen, knowing that the lie would incite people against him. 
and it worked. So arrested and brought before the Jewish council to be tried for these false accusations, Stephen was asked if all of this was true. And again, in this moment, the Holy Spirit spoke through Stephen and gave him the words to say. And I would share all of those words with you, but it takes up almost all of Acts chapter 7. It's incredibly long. You should read it. But basically, Stephen walked them through the entire history of Israel, and he wrapped it up in Acts 7, 51 through 54. Look at the last thing he said. He said, you stubborn people, you're heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah who you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. And check this out. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. Stephen gives this long message spoken through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the heart of this message, the heart of what the Holy Spirit was speaking through Stephen was this. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one sent by God to rescue humanity. And the Jewish leaders didn't take that well because they'd been directly responsible for Jesus' death. And they thought that calling him the Messiah was blasphemy against God. Look what happens in verse 57. They then put their hands over their ears and they begin shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, if I hadn't already known the end of this story, I think I'd honestly be surprised. Because I would expect that if the Holy Spirit gave Stephen the words to speak, that those words would have saved his life. That those words would have given him the upper hand, given him the upper hand in his argument, and that he would have come out on top. But those words didn't, and Stephen didn't come out on top. He was killed. How do we make sense of this? Well, there's one last thing that he said that can help us understand. In Acts 7, 59 through 60, it says that as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. So as he's being stoned to death, Stephen asked Jesus to receive his spirit and then he asked him to forgive his killers. Think about that. While he was being murdered, he doubled down on putting his faith in Jesus, who was literally the reason that Stephen was dying, and he asked that his murderers be forgiven. Which brings us to our main takeaway today. For followers of Jesus, winning looks like faith and forgiveness. Again, I would have expected that when his enemies attacked and that the Holy Spirit spoke through him, that Stephen would have come out on top. That maybe he'd like throw some sick burn, you know, at his enemies and everyone else would be like, oh, and they'd like it and they'd share it to their page. And, and you know, Stephen's going to go out on top, having won the argument, schooled his enemies. But Jesus had redefined Stephen's worldview. And in doing so, Jesus redefined what winning is. See, winning isn't owning the opposition or winning a debate. Winning is when in the face of opposition, we expand our faith in Jesus and extend forgiveness to our enemies. 
I mean, Jesus already said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 43. He says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It takes faith and forgiveness to love and pray for people who are opposing us, who've hurt us, because it requires us to trust God to deal with them. But that's okay because our new goal as followers of Jesus is not to crush our enemies, but to love and forgive them. It's not to win by defeating them, but to win by putting more of our faith in Jesus and offering more of our forgiveness to them. Stephen lost his life, but he still won. And perhaps winning looks the same for us today too. Because sometimes winning isn't owning your enemies. Sometimes it's giving up your life or your rights or your desires. And that takes faith. It takes trust in Jesus to lay down your right to live, your right to fight, your right to defeat those who oppose you. But that's what winning looks like for followers of Jesus. Just as I close, I'd like you to do this. Identify who is on the other team in your mind right now. Just get a picture of that person in your mind. That person are those people who might qualify as your enemies. They're the people who scare you or threaten you or disgust you. The people whose values are the exact opposite of yours. Or maybe they're the people who share almost all of your values, but one. But that one value that you disagree on is an absolute deal breaker. Who are the people that you feel are attacking you or attacking your values or your way of life? And now that you have that person or those people in your head, I want you to ask yourself, what would it look like to pray like Stephen did, to pray like Jesus did? First, to pray a prayer of faith. Father, I commit my spirit, my life, my will into your hands. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I surrender my rights and desires to you. And then to pray this. Father, forgive them, even as I forgive them. Jesus made it clear that in this world, we will face opposition. There will be people who are positioned as our enemies because of our faith in Jesus. But he also redefined the rules of the game and how we're supposed to see it. And our goal isn't to crush our enemies. Our new goal is to grow in our faith in Jesus and to grow in our forgiveness toward others. So is the fruit of your life and your words deeper faith or is it fear of others? Do the words you use when facing opposition result in their forgiveness or do those words result in greater conflict? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us and in doing so to transform our lives, to transform our relationships and to transform our world. Because if our life is a game with an opposing team that's out to get us. Crushing our enemies is not the way of Christ, but putting our trust and faith in Him and extending forgiveness to other people in our lives is the way of Christ. And if it costs us everything, if it costs us our lives, if it costs us our rights, if it costs us our privileges, and if it costs us our power, that's okay. Because the way of Jesus says, put your faith in me and extend your forgiveness to others. And I will guide your steps and I will make your path straight. 
I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. <laughs>